I went to bed early, like 7.30, but I wasn't asleep, just watching TV, scrolling on my phone, and then I thought about those sandwich cookies in the kitchen. I thought, I'll just try them, but then I just kept eating and eating them. I ate about half the box and feel totally crappy today. This was not Lisa's first trip to the rodeo with these sandwich cookies. Unfortunately, these particular sandwich cookies, half vanilla, half chocolate, had bucked her off at least four times in the last month. I hated seeing her spend another morning in the land of stomachache and regret. I tried to help Lisa draw something productive out of the experience by asking what was going on in her life yesterday, what sort of thoughts and feelings she was having in the evening before she started eating the cookies. If we can figure out what her emotional state was, we could talk about what might be a plausible alternative for the next time she feels that same need or feeling. Lisa said, First, I think restocking the snacks was part of the problem. Last week, I bought a different brand of cookies, and they weren't as good as those chocolate vanilla ones. So once I had my favorite ones in the house again, I was super eager to eat them. And then I think I overcompensated once I started eating them. It was like, I finally have the right cookies instead of those wrong ones. I don't think I was upset or any more stressed than usual. And her next email was, I just finished the other half of the box. Okay, I'm done. I leaned back in my chair, and I read the email series over a couple of times. Lisa wasn't telling me that she was feeling lonely or stressed or suffering some family drama. These two episodes, yesterday and today, of eating half a box of cookies each time really seemed to boil down to just having them at home. It was so convenient and within such easy grasp that even if she had been upset or had some lingering lonely feelings, she could just grab the cookies and get started on them before she had any time to actually notice her emotional state. I agreed with her that restocking the cookies in her apartment was only perpetuating the cookie incidents. I asked Lisa if she was willing to give it a try for a couple of weeks to not keep boxes of cookies at home, or pints of ice cream or other types of treats which came in multiple serving containers. And she said yes, she definitely was. I keep thinking, she said, that I can do this, I can have this food at home but not binge on it, and sometimes I'm fine, but yeah, it keeps happening more often than I'd like. In this episode, we'll talk about that dynamic. The dilemma of do I bring foods home so I can try and be normal around them? Or do I keep them all away from me so I don't binge? There is a time to get binge foods out of your home to reestablish the peace. But you don't have to keep them out forever. I'll share with you the four phases of developing a healthy relationship with your trigger foods, whatever they may be. This is the Breaking Up with Binge Eating podcast, where every listen moves you one step closer to complete food freedom. Hosted by me, Georgie Fear, and my co-coach, Mary Claire Brescia. Being selective about the foods you buy and keep in your home is downright smart when it helps you have an easier time eating healthfully and normally. The reason most people start avoiding their trigger foods is logical. 
If we tend to only eat ice cream when we're feeling emotionally out of control, or we only eat ice cream during binges, simply not buying ice cream can help us reduce or stop binging. Deciding on a hard line of, I will not buy that food for a month, is a good idea to get some separation and break the pattern of frequent loss of control involving that food. When this goes well, we stick to our commitment and experience urges, but we're able to get through them, aided by the fact that our usual go-to food is less convenient. And then, again, if everything is going well, after the initial separation, we decide if we'd like to gradually reintroduce that food in a controlled, deliberate way. More details on that to come. But often, things don't go that well. What happens far more commonly is people make the commitment, I'm never buying that food again. And then, after they haven't touched the food for a while, they backpedal and they decide to buy the food anyway and just try not to binge on it. This time will be different, we might say. But without really changing anything about the situation, the episodes we wanted to avoid tend to just start up again. Most of my clients have done this. They end up ping-ponging back and forth between avoiding a food completely and eating it in a way that makes them feel bad. It's like a dysfunctional relationship that just keeps repeating, breaking up, and then getting back together and abusing. To help you break out of this frustrating loop of behavior, I'd like to present you with a plan that works for many of our clients to break up the binge involvement with a particular food, and you don't necessarily have to swear it off forever. It goes like this. Phase one, I need some space. In this phase, you decide to take two to four weeks completely off from your trigger food. It's not forever. It's just a break long enough to practice feeding yourself normally and feeding yourself adequately without that food playing a role. And it just breaks the negative pattern of interacting with it in ways that leave you feeling lousy. You're cementing during those two to four weeks that you do not need this food to live or to cope with your life. During this time, you'll want to focus on eating foods you enjoy, but that don't have a tendency to turn into a binge. Let's say you're taking a break from cookies. You might use squares of dark chocolate instead for your after-dinner treat. Or maybe you'll decide for a couple weeks you'll have yogurt with fruit and honey. If you and corn chips are taking a breather, you might find rice crackers or wasa crisp breads are a substitute that's easier to just have one serving of. Note, getting rid of your trigger foods does not make it impossible to binge. Some people have found they can binge on celery if that's all they have around. But it does give you the advantage in not binging if the food you find most hyperpalatable or most tempting is just not around for a while. Phase 2. I'll meet with you on my terms. Let's meet in public and I'm not coming alone. When you feel ready, you can move to this stage. In phase two, you decide to eat some of the food, but, this is important, you do it in a situation where binging on it or eating several servings is highly, highly unlikely. For example, 
when you're in public and you have somebody with you, most people are not going to binge. For this phase, it's important to find a way to just get one serving of the food. You might need to be a little creative here. You might be able to buy one serving if your trigger food is donuts or ice cream cones or cookies. Or you might have to buy a larger package if your trigger food is Oreos or Chips Ahoy and you can't find a single serving package. If you have to buy a larger package, it means you have to come to terms with throwing out or giving some of it away so you really only have one portion in your possession before you start eating. Then you practice eating your single portion and you move on with your day. You go about your activities, your job, and your family life, because there's no need to do anything differently. In this stage, you're cementing that you do not eat this food in the way you used to. Now, you are someone who has a single portion, enjoys it, and stays in control. You can repeat this experience over and over again. You can bring the same person with you, or you can bring a different person with you each time. But the important thing is you meet the food in public and you have someone with you. This gives you the ultimate supported setup to not let it go south. You can choose to stay in phase two forever with a particular food. There's nothing wrong with deciding that you and ice cream have the best relationship when you only meet in public for single serving dates. Lots of my clients have found peace long term by deciding they only eat ice cream when they buy a cone somewhere, or they only buy single cookies or muffins from a bakery or a coffee shop. They just don't buy boxes of cookies and muffins to have at home. This can be a long term happy arrangement. You may or may not choose to have someone with you all the time for extra binge proofing of the situation, but definitely bring somebody along the first time. Phase three, you can come over, but you can't move back in. If you choose to move to a closer level of engagement with your previously called trigger food, it's because you strongly want to have the food in your own home. It's important to recognize there's more risk, more difficulty and trust involved in bringing the food home. But if you'd like to, this phase involves bringing a single portion again of the food home and eating it as part of a planned meal, and then continuing with your planned day. This action cements that this food can join the other foods in your normal eating rotation, and that it doesn't have the power to set you off or trigger continued eating. After all, if it didn't overpower you in phase two, there's nothing inherently self-control vaporizing about this food. You did it in public, now you'll just do it at home. You can eat it and then get busy living the rest of your life. Again, you can stay in this arrangement for as long as you like, just bringing home one serving at a time. If you find this leads to a peaceful pattern of no more binge eating or emotional eating, it sounds like it's a great fit. There's no law that says you must bring large bags of potato chips home. There's no merit badge for having gallons of ice cream or dozens of muffins at home. Phase four, I think we can live together again. You may feel confident that this food and you can have a healthy ongoing relationship going forward. Again, you can just stay in phase two or three if you want. 
But if you've eaten the food several times and things have gone smoothly, clearly you have some control. At this point, if you want to, you can choose to buy a few servings, like one-ounce bags of popcorn or chips, or whatever packaging you'd prefer to keep at home. I recommend, however, that you're still very careful to consider the timing and the situations in which you choose to have some of the food. Given that you have some mixed history together, you might want to decide to only have this food with meals, or only have it when you're feeling positive and confident. I'd avoid a midnight rendezvous in the dark kitchen, and I'd avoid turning to it after you've had one too many glasses of wine. Remember, you are the one who sets the barriers, and you ensure that your relationship stays healthy. If things get rocky, you can always go back to an earlier stage. As you can see, these phases probably look pretty different from your previous experience. If you've sworn off foods and then decided to bring a gallon of ice cream home, well, you've skipped a lot of steps, and that can be a recipe for disaster. So review this episode, think about each phase, and doing it gradually, and I think your odds are very, very good that you and this food can have a happy arrangement for the rest of your lives. <laughs>